0: Gospel, chapter 11. As we come to Mark, chapter 11, we are in the final week of Jesus' life before the cross. If the triumphal entry happened on Palm Sunday, as tradition says, Monday, just to pick up the story, verse 12, now the next day, which would have been Monday, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, he goes into the city then, cleanses the temple. On the next day, which would have been Tuesday then, verse 20, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you curse is withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says therefore I say to you whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you will have them and whenever you stand praying if you have anything against another forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses but if you do not forgive neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses so you understand the scene now Monday he's going into the city for some reason He hasn't eaten, whether he got up early to leave the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to go to the Mount of Olives and pray long before the breaking of day, which was his custom, especially during the last week of his life before the cross. Uh, Possibly he did that, not having time then to go back to Bethany to eat. He meets up with his disciples there in the Mount of Olives, perhaps, and then makes the journey to Jerusalem. He's hungry. Uh, It's a two-mile journey from Bethany to Jerusalem, but... He was on the Mount of course, that was the just across the Kidron Valley, so he'd been a lot closer. However, uh, as he's entering the c- city, he sees a fig tree. Now, he sees leaves on it from afar and assumes that, thinks, well, perhaps there's fruit. Fig trees are a little unique in that they tend to produce their leaves first, or excuse me, they tend to pr- produce fruit first and then leaves. So if you see a fruit tree from afar off with leaves on it, it's an indication that there's probably fruit there. Well, Jesus goes to the tree finds no fruit and curses it it withers and dies it's a strange story as I said William Barclay couldn't even deal with it the commentator he just wrote it off as being something a scribe added Uh, he just couldn't deal with it. it was so out of character to him for Jesus that he just couldn't deal with it and it is does seem to be quite a bit out of character for Jesus the only time in the gospels where we ever see him use his supernatural power to curse something in nature like a fig tree or something else because it wouldn't sustain him physically A very unusual story. Most commentators, as we said a couple weeks ago, believe that the fig tree was really analogous to Israel. And that really is what's in view here. It says that Jesus knew it wasn't the season for figs. Uh, It says to me that he was using the fig tree as a symbol of Israel. In fact, you can go into the Bible, into the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Nahum, Hosea, other places, and find Israel likened to a fig tree. As a matter of fact, Jesus in luke chapter 13 had earlier given them this parable in verse 6 he said a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none then he said to the keeper of his vineyard look for three years i have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none cut it down why does it use up the ground but he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not after that, you can cut it down. And it seems that Jesus was using this parable to describe what he had been doing for with the nation of Israel. He had a three-year public ministry. He came to Israel looking for fruit. Israel is likened to a fig tree in the Old Testament. He came to Israel looking for spiritual fruit, but all he found was foliage, okay, just like this fig tree. had leaves on it but no fruit, just like Israel. From an outward standpoint, from afar off, it looked like it was ripe and had fruit. The foliage was there, if I can use that expression. In other words, from all outward observances, it had a form of religion, and yet it denied the power therein. It was just empty. There was no real spiritual fruit. All it was was ceremonies and rituals and dead orthodoxy but nothing real, nothing alive, nothing of real spiritual consequence. And so the fig tree in this story is probably being used by Jesus Christ to symbolize the nation of Israel. How he came looking for fruit but found none. Therefore they were cursed. Thirty-eight years later uh, they were wiped out. Uh, Titus the Roman general came killed a million six hundred thousand Jews, destroyed the temple. The Jews were scattered throughout the world uh, which they basically remain until beginning of this century and of course then became a nation in 1948. The next day when the disciples came by the fig tree, they were amazed not because it had died. They knew why it had died. Jesus had cursed it. They were amazed that it died so quickly. See? And Jesus used the The opportunity to teach them about faith and about prayer. Now you have to understand that this was the last week of his life before his crucifixion. As we have said before, the last six months of his ministry he kind of withdrew from the crowds, the multitudes, to spend more and more quality time with his disciples because soon they would be taking up the mantle of his ministry as he was about to be taken from them and they needed to really be built into by him. And so he was doing this. Especially this last week now, he's taking the opportunity not only to denounce Israel, its leadership, the hypocrisy around its worship uh, ceremonies and things, but he's also using the time to really, again, build into his disciples. He knows there is none more important issues with regard to the spirit life than faith and prayer. And so he uses this opportunity to teach them (coughs) about these two very important things. And I want to take the rest of the evening tonight to also teach about these two very important issues, faith and prayer, intended by God to be very simple concepts. Think of it this way. Faith is nothing more than trusting your heavenly Father in his wisdom and his provision and his protection. And prayer is simply communicating with him thanking Him, loving Him, praising Him, asking Him for your needs and so on, guidance, whatever. Very simple concept. Any child can understand that concept with regard to their parents. They speak to their parents, they ask for things, they trust in their parents' ability to provide their needs and so on and so forth. God intended these two things to be very simple concepts and yet today there are some leaders in the Christian church who have made them extremely complex and have really twisted and perverted what God intended to be very simple, they have made it very twisted, very complicated, and much of it is because of their own selfish, greedy agenda, which they're trying to promote through their teachings and all. Because of it, a lot of people today in the church, believe it or not, have no idea what true faith is really all about, and they have a real warped concept of prayer in general. In 1970, a book was published called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Tens of thousands of copies sold in Christian bookstores. It was nothing more than Hinduism dressed up in positive mental attitudes, success motivation, psychological terminology. That's all it was. Its author Jonathan Bach said the whole thing was dictated to him by a, a, a disembodied spirit out on the astral plane. Paul warned us, he warned us that in the last days especially some would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. He warned us about this. He associated it with a great apostasy that he said was coming into the church. The word apostasy means a turning away from the truth or the faith. This book was read by thousands of Christians, especially Christian businessmen that had copies of the book in their offices with a picture of Jonathan on the cover flying through the air with a caption underneath that read, I can because I think I can. Well, if you remember, if you're a Star Wars fan, that's about the same thing Yoda said to Luke Skywalker. Yoda, by the way, was just uh, nothing more than a yogi, a little short yogi. He was a Hindu master, basically, although he didn't come across that way in the movie. He came across as a master. But uh, remember when Luke crashed his, um, his fighter, his uh, starfighter, into the swamp on this planet, and it went under, and uh, Yoda was trying to teach him to raise it to the power of his mind. You saw Luke sweating and straining, and... You know, and in the, in the craft beginning to move up in the water bubbling, and he got it a few feet above the water, and suddenly he just gives up, and the thing sinks back into the water. And he says to Yoda, you, you ask the impossible. And Yoda walks over this little two-and-a-half-foot midget yogi, and <laughs> all of a sudden, through the power of his mind, he raises the thing right out of the water and sets it on the dry ground. And he says to Luke, he says, that's your problem. You can't because you think you can't. Do you know that there are thousands of well-intentioned, sincere Christians who believe that's what faith is? They believe that faith is simply asking God for something, and if you believe strongly enough, that will bring it to pass. See? It's that concept, I can because I think I can. And this is really nothing more than I believe the evidence of the apostasy Coming into the church, it's nothing more than Hinduism, which has been kind of dressed up in pseudo-Christian terminology. It's Christianized Hinduism is all it is. Because the Hindus have always believed that the universe around us, the world around us, is really not real. It's an illusion created through the power of our mind called a Maya. That's what they believe. And if you don't like your circumstances, if you don't like your reality then you need to visualize in your mind a new set of circumstances if you're poor you need to visualize that you're rich standing in front of your palatial estate uh, with your mercedes parked in front with your name on the license plate Uh, you need to visualize this and the more you can visualize that image in your mind then your mind will you will create your own reality that's Hinduism. The Hindus have always believed this. Well, of course those in the New Age movement, which is just westernized Hinduism, they've picked up on this. And well, don't you know, the Church of Jesus Christ now, I shouldn't say just now, this has been coming in for a while, obviously, but the Church has also bought into this concept, and we have people running around today teaching basically this same thing. That if we believe strongly enough, and we confess it with our mouths, then we will have it, because basically we create our own reality through the power of our mind, which we call faith, and through the spoken word. And a lot of this is coming in through the charismatic movement. As Kenneth Hagin has written and said, through these new powerful truths and spiritual principles, which he and others have stumbled onto, you can now, and I'm quoting from him, write your own ticket with God, end quote which basically means you can use your mind power, which they don't call that, they call it faith. You can use your faith, which is a force, to manipulate God and write your own ticket with God, basically, where God has to basically do your bidding. You become the master. He becomes the servant. And God runs around fulfilling whatever we desire because, after all, faith is a force. And if you speak... If you believe in your heart strongly enough and you speak it into existence it will come to be because that's what it's all about and as i said the positive confession movement is bringing all of this into the church and you would be absolutely amazed and shocked at how many christians believe in this it's absolutely amazing to me to see christians and when these guys appear in different areas the places are packed they're turning people away thousands and thousands of people come to hear Hagen and Copeland and Caps and others like them because people want to write their own ticket with God they don't want to basically say not my will but thine be done Lord they want to be in control and it goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden basically when man basically threw off the yoke of God which I won't likened really to a yoke. But God said, look, obey me and I'll bless you. And man said basically to God, I will not have you reign over me. And so when man disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit, it was an act of, it was a man's declaration of independence from God. Man was basically saying, I'm not going to do what God has said. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to be in control. I don't want to be under God's authority. I want to do my own thing. And that Attitude has remained to the present day and the church has found some way now to bring it into the church and sanctify it in a sense and make it sound spiritual when in reality it's the same old selfish lie that Satan told even the Garden of Eden. You don't need God. You can become a God yourself. Just go ahead and eat the fruit God told you not to eat because he's withholding from you something that's basically good. He doesn't want you to become like him. And so again Satan pictures or casts himself as the friend and God is the adversary and people Adam and Eve bought into it back then, and people are still buying into it today. And it's coming into the church wholesale. And I think we need to understand, you know, some of what these folks believe, and if we're going to be able to address these things and to contend for the faith against these false doctrines. Quickly, just some of the basic tenets of the positive confession faith movement. First of all, they believe that man is a little god. That man is basically in God's class. Kenneth Copeland said, and I quote, we are a class of gods. God himself spawned us from his innermost being. You don't have a god in you. You are one." End quote. And many others are saying the same basic thing. This doctrine that basically we are God is the cornerstone doctrine of the positive confession movement, but not just their movement. It's the cornerstone of Mormonism, the New Age movement, Hinduism, and it's the same basic lie that Satan told even the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die, you will become like God. And that's what man has always wanted. To ascend to Godhood. Why? Because if I'm God, I don't have to answer to anybody but myself. I can do whatever I want. I can have whatever I want. So we've, you know, man has tried to find a way to elevate himself to that place. And we have people in the church that have just done just that. They are going around telling people, Christians, hey, look it. When a cow has an offspring, what does it have? As has a calf, a baby cow, right? Kitten? She has offsprings, what does she have? Baby kittens, you know, baby cats, right? Dogs, when they have offspring, what do they, they have puppies, baby dogs. When God has offspring, what does he have? Baby gods, little gods. And that's, that's almost a direct quote from one of the leaders in the movement. They believe that. We were the spawn of God, therefore we are God, just like he is. Another one of their beliefs is that faith is a force that both God and man can use for our own purposes. Charles Caps, one of the leaders in the movement, has said, and I quote, God's word in your mouth produces a force called faith. It generates a spiritual force called faith, end quote. Now, this is where they're coming from. Kenneth Copeland said, and I quote, Faith is your servant. It's a fourth force just like gravity and we can use uh, it because we are part of God and have all of His capabilities. So this force called faith is a, it's a law, just in, in nature, it's a spiritual law, just like we have laws of nature like gravity and, you know, gravity is, a, is an absolute law of nature. Well, there are spiritual laws, and faith is one of those spiritual laws. It works as a force. that works according to certain laws, just like gravity does, and we can manipulate it and use it for our own uh, purposes. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, but faith teachers today have turned that around, and they are saying, We understand that it was by faith that God framed the worlds. So the Bible says we know by faith that God framed the world, that God created the universe. They say, oh, no, no, it really says that we know that God by faith created the universe. In other words, God used a force called faith to create the universe around us. See, it was this force that we call faith. Dave Hunt in his book, Beyond Seduction, goes on to say, this charismatic version of the metaphysics of mind science cult is gaining increasing credibility in the church. It is an extremely serious heresy. The object of faith becomes faith itself as a cosmic force. Attention is devoted to and techniques are developed for getting faith in faith instead of having faith in God. What did, Mark, what did Jesus say in Mark 11:22? Have faith in what? Your faith? have faith in God see that's why we're going through this this is one of their favorite texts mark 11:23 through 24 but they oftentimes don't quote mark 11:22 see they will quote, by faith, you can move mountains and whatever you want and ask, you'll get and so on. And if, you, if you believe that you have received it, you will have it. And they quote all of this, but they leave out Mark 11:22, which says, have faith in God. See, not have faith in your faith, which makes faith some kind of a force. But simply, again, taking a simple concept like faith, which we could use in a different term and say, trust in God. They have turned this into a something that's a force, something that's a power in and of itself. See, they've taken something that was intended to be very simple and have twisted it into something complex, something that sounds very spiritual and yet something that's totally unbiblical, something God never intended it to be. Dave Hunk goes on to say in a 1986 book titled, How to Have Faith in Your Faith. This is where Kenneth Hagin is coming from. He's considered to be the founder of the faith movement. Uh, But he has written a book called How to Have Faith in Your Faith. He explains that because faith in God comes by hearing the word of God. See, that's what Romans 10, 17 says. uh, You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He says, faith in God comes by hearing the word of God. Therefore, he says, faith in your faith comes by hearing yourself speak your faith. In his booklet entitled, Having Faith in Your Faith, he writes, and I quote, that's what you've got to learn to do to get things from God. Have faith in your faith. It would help to get faith down in your spirit to say out loud, faith in my faith, faith in my faith. Keep saying it until it registers on your heart. I know it sounds strange when you first say it. Your mind almost rebels against it, end quote. Well, Dave Hunt goes on to say, of course the mind ought to rebel against such a teaching. But we are urged to put aside reason and common sense and the clear truth of God's word and begin instead to repeat this phrase over and over until we finally accept it. This is a brainwashing procedure that has led untold thousands of Christians into delusion and finally disillusionment and has brought many to a denial of God and a complete loss of faith in him. The third thing they believe is that this force called faith, faith's force is released by speaking words. So we are gods. That's important because that sets the stage for the power in my words. You're going to see in a moment how that God spoke and things happen, right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be, you know, first of all, the world and all the planets and all. Well it's important for uh, them to establish the fact that we are in God's class if we're going to then move from that point to the second step which says and as God's spoken things happen so we can use this force called faith to release power but it happens through the spoken word even as God used faith to create the universe but he did it through the spoken word there is power in our words you know and in the occult they have believed for centuries that there were power in words we call them mantras See? And these mantras repeated over and over again release spiritual power. This, you'll, you won't find this stuff anywhere in the Bible, but you find it as far back as you want to go in all the occult writings, because it's always been in the occult. It's never been a part of Christianity, and yet these guys are going in, into the occult, whether they realize what they're doing or not. I'm convinced many don't. They don't purposely mean to deceive anybody, and yet they are, because they themselves are not grounded and rooted in the Word of God. That's what Paul said would happen with the apostasy when it finally came. It would happen because people wouldn't want to hear sound doctrine. They wouldn't want to be taught sound biblical teaching. They would want to hear what they want to hear. They would turn their ears away from the truth and gather to themselves teachers who would tickle their ears. That's why people are getting swept into these delusions and deceptions, because they're not grounded in the Word of God. And that's why it's so very important, as Paul told Timothy, continue in the Word of truth, for in so doing you will save yourself and those who hear you. Save yourself from what? Save yourself from hell? Timothy was already saved. Save yourself from false teaching, false doctrine. And those who hear you, you'll save if you just constantly teach them the truth. Well, they believe that this force called faith, the power is released through speaking words. Charles Caps, And, you know, listen to what these guys are saying. I mean, it almost knocks you off your chair. Listen to what these men, supposed men of God, are teaching these thousands of people that they have under them. Listen to what they're saying. Charles Caps, one of the leaders in the Positive Confession Movement, says, and I quote, This is not theory. It is fact. It is spiritual law. It works every time it is applied correctly. You set them, spiritual laws, in motion by the words of your mouth. Everything you say will come to pass, end quote. Paul Young-Gi Cho, who pastors the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, but is into some very strange things, he says, and I quote, by the spoken word, we create our universe of circumstances. Now, does that sound like Hinduism? We create our universe of circumstances. You create the presence of Jesus with your mouth. He is bound by your lips and by your words, end quote. So now I'm, control- I'm the Lord, basically. I'm God. Jesus is my servant. And every time I call him down here, hey, Lord, get- Jesus, get down here, basically. He is bound by my words to come and do my bidding and whatever. Again, Charles Cap says, and I quote, words are the most powerful thing in the universe. Dave Hunt goes on to say, God presumably used this power residing within words to create the universe, and that same power is allegedly available to us as creatures, quote, in God's class, very capable of operating uh, in the same kind of faith, And unquote. That's what they believe. And here's what Charles Cap explains it to be. He said, and I quote, Words are containers. They carry faith or fear, and they produce after their kind. God is a faith God. God released His faith in words, end quote. So God used this force called faith too, see? That's how He created everything. Again, Charles Cap's lays out the basics of his, this theology of positive confession. Dave Hunt goes on to say, Caps presents what appears to be an evangelical version of Christian science. Founder Mary Baker Eddy's teachings that Jesus was a scientist who simply applied the laws inherent in the universe and that we can demonstrate the same truth in our lives by a scientific application of spiritual laws. That's what Christian scientists believe, that Jesus didn't really have any Uh, innate supernatural powers. Uh, He certainly wasn't God in human form. He was just a scientist. He was ahead of his time. He understood certain laws of nature and spiritual laws that most people in his day were ignorant to, and he just applied those laws, and things happened, and people thought he was God, but he really was just a guy who understood he was just ahead of his time, a scientist well ahead of his time, and that's what they believe. Well, as we're going to see in a moment, Christian science is a a cousin, really, to the whole positive confession movement. I'll share that in a moment. But Charles Caps goes on to say, God's word is spiritual law. It functions just as surely as any natural law. Words governed by spiritual law become spiritual forces working for you. Man was created in God's class, a spirit being very capable of operating on the same level of faith as God. God released his faith in words. To imitate God, you must talk like him and act like him. The natural world is to be controlled by man speaking God's words. There was creative power that flowed out of the mouth of God, and you have the same ability dwelling or residing on the inside of you. This is not theory. It is fact. It is a spiritual law. It works every time it's applied correctly. This is where they're coming from. They believe that this force of faith is released through the spoken word. And they believe this since there is power in words then whatever you say, whether positive or negative, will bring into reality what you have spoken. So you want to be very careful. You never make a negative confession, lest you bring on yourself these negative circumstances. You don't ever want to walk around saying, Hey, you know, that guy gives me a pain in my neck. Be very careful. You're going to get a pain in your neck, right? Uh, you got to be careful what you say, hence the term positive confession. These folks want to make sure they only talk in positive terms. They only make positive confessions. They believe that, that this is very important because what, what you say, whether positive or negative, will come to pass. Kenneth Hagin has said, and I quote, you get what you say, end quote. Paul Yonggi Cho again says, only by mouth confession can faith power be released, allowing tremendous things to happen. See, you got to speak it. I don't know what happens if a person is is a mute. Uh, I guess they're just basically out of luck. Then I mean I don't think they cover that. But Gloria Copeland, Kenneth's wife, said, and I quote: "Remember, the key to receiving the desires of your heart is to make the words of your mouth agree with what you want." End quote. Robert Tilton, another uh, big time player in this whole thing says, and I quote, whatever comes out of your mouth shall be produced in your life, end quote. Charles Cap says, and I quote, the tongue can kill you or it can release the life of God within you. Whether you believe right or wrong, it is still the law. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you believe it, it's the law. It's going to happen. You don't have to believe in gravity for it to affect you, right? You jump off a building and say, I don't believe in gravity you're still going to be affected by it. The idea is the same here. You don't have to believe in these things, what they're saying. They just work, whether you like it or not. This is the spiritual law of this whole thing called faith. Kenneth Hagin said, and I quote, if you confess sickness, you get it. If you confess health, you get it. Whatever you say, you get, end quote. Don Bashan said the spoken word releases power, power for good or power for evil. Hence, again, the term positive confession. The fifth thing they believe is that anyone, occultist or a Christian, can use what they call this faith force. And one of the leaders says, uh, he says, Jesus said that uh, he had the God, that he had God kind of faith. He encouraged his disciples to exercise that kind of faith. And he said that whosoever could do it. Why did he say whosoever? The reason is because all men are spirit beings. It used to bother me when I'd see unsaved people getting results, but my church members not getting results. Then it dawned on me what the sinners were doing. They were cooperating with this law of God, the law of faith." End quote. And so basically, you don't have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's immaterial. You don't have to be a Christian to have this force called faith work for you. It's a spiritual law. works for anybody, occultist, atheist, Christian. You're actually, and I don't know what they think, but obviously what they're saying is your faith in Christ is just immaterial. You don't need to believe in God even to use this force called faith. And they all say this in the Positive Confession Movement, that this is a law of faith and that uh, we are fourth dimension beings, Paul Young e. Cho said, we are spirit beings and therefore we're on the same level as God, God spoke, things happen, we can speak and things will happen too. I don't know if it's ever crossed anybody's mind in this movement that in the beginning when it says, and God said, let there be light, light didn't appear because God said it. Light appeared because it was God who said it, right? I mean, it wasn't the fact there was power in words. It was the fact that it was God who was speaking the words and the power was in him. I mean, do you have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out? (laughs) That you would take something and say, well, God spoken things happened. The world came into existence. There was light. There was the waters. There was the, the animals and the plants and everything. See, there's power in words. No, there's not power in words. There's power in God who spoke the words. There's not power in words that I think I can manipulate my own reality. What a horrible world this would be if this was true. Every time somebody said something out of anger against somebody else and it happened, what a terrible, horrible place this would be. But Charles Capps goes on to say in this whole vein that it doesn't matter if you're a cultist or Christian, you can use this faith force. Charles Capps says, and I quote, because man is a little God in God's class. He is very capable of operating on the same level of faith as God, end quote. I mean, listen to what these guys are saying again Kenneth Hagin said because all men are spirit beings therefore anyone whether Christian or pagan can release this faith force by speaking words if he only believes in in his words as God believes in his words end quote see it doesn't matter God believes in his words you gotta believe in your words if you do things will happen see it's it's a spiritual law now obviously this is so important to them and so exciting because you get what you say and how does that translate well obviously, into wealth and, and health, see? That's why that's so exciting, because I can now use this force called faith through the spoken word to release into my life health, prosperity. I can basically write my own ticket with God, I and mean, I can have whatever I want. And of course, that's the, the natural conclusion to where all this winds up, because that's, what, that's why they've developed all these things, because in the end, they've wanted to develop a doctrine that basically... Again, let man do whatever he wants. let him be God. Robert Tilton said, The Bible is God's book of success, the greatest success book you could ever read, end quote. And like so many in the Positive Confession Movement, he places great emphasis on financial success. Gloria Copeland said, and I quote, The body of Christ is going to end up with all the money because God's will is prosperity, end quote. I don't know. My Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. I I don't know. I don't see anywhere where Jesus was was living in the lap of luxury. And uh, Gloria Copeland also relates a story in regard to a house she wanted to buy. She said, and I quote, I began to see that I already had authority over that house and authority over the money I needed to purchase it. I said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the money I need. I called out the specific amount. I command you to come to me," she said, You can get yourself put away for talking into the air. Uh, But she said, I take authority over the money. She called out the amount. She said, you come to me, I command you, in Jesus' name, ministering spirits, you go and cause it to come. Oh, speaking of angels, she said, "When you become the voice of God in the earth, uh, by putting His words in your mouth, you put your angels to work. They are highly trained and capable helpers. They know how to get the job done. So they're kind of like a spiritual Remax deal. Uh, if you need them for real estate, uh, want to buy a house, just go ahead and summon the ministering spirits, and they'll go ahead and and get you the house. You know." Kenneth Hagan, who teaches that. For a pastor or anyone, listen to this, for a pastor or anyone to drive a Chevrolet instead of a luxury car isn't being humble, that's being ignorant, he says, of God's law of prosperity that works for whoever you are, saint or sinner. Even a non-Christian honors God, even a non-Christian honors God by getting into contact with that law. In other words, if a true Christian decides to live humbly and simply and not extravagantly, they are dishonoring God. If a sinner decides to live greedy and you know somehow they're tapping the law of faith, this force, they're actually honoring God. See how twisted it gets? Gloria Copeland enthusiastically declares, and I quote, You give a dollar for the gospel's sake and a hundred dollars belongs to you. You give 10 and receive 1,000. Give 1,000 and receive 100,000. I know you can multiply, but I want you to see it in black and white. Give one airplane and receive 100 times the value of the airplane. Give one car and the return would furnish you a lifetime of cars. In short, Mark 1030 is a very good deal, End quote. Well, gang, that's not giving. That's investing. And the Bible talks about us giving to God out of a right heart one of these characters in attempting to justify the seed faith concept you know what the seed faith is you send in your your donation okay it's called a seed faith you know you're you're planting your 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 seed of faith in their ministry by your donation give it a hundred dollars and that's just a, a seed it's going to bring forth a hundred fold return that whole thing uh he was attempting to, to justify this whole thing uh, on a christian talk show in in uh, 1986 and he said that um If we do not expect to get money multiplied back to us when we give money to God's work, we are mocking God. This, he explained, was the meaning of God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Galatians 6, 7. The next verse, however, however, contradicts such an interpretation. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap corruption. Everlasting life. Money is clearly, Dave Hunt goes on to say, money is clearly not the subject of this scripture. Yet the regular cohorts or co-hosts of uh, cohorts is probably more accurate <laughs> of the network program added their amends of approval to this twisted interpretation. This same leader in the faith movement, whose teaching has influenced thousands and perhaps millions of people in the church, when asked by Time magazine, Time magazine went to this guy says, Aren't you just tithing to get? He replied, yes, 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 a thousand times yes. I want to get healed. I want to get well. I want to get money. I want to get prosperous, end quote. Okay, so much for denying yourself. And finally, on an Amway motivational tape, Robert Schuller sums it all up, and we could spend a lot longer on this, but I think we're all sick enough. Here's our old buddy Robert Schuller. He said, and I quote, You don't know what power you have within you. You make the world into anything you choose. Yes, you can make your world into whatever you want it to be. Now does that sound like teaching people that they don't need God, that basically they could be God themselves? Isn't that the very thing that Eve bought into in the garden, the very first sin that has brought all this tragedy into the world? And people blame Adam and Eve. Why am I suffering because of his sin? Well, man is basically making the same choice over and over today to disobey God and obey his flesh over against what God has said. But this mentality of wanting to to play God, uh, it's always been in the world. And really, uh, it was C.S. Lewis who said after he had studied all the religions of the world, basically said you could trace all of them back to two primary roots, both of which got their start in the Garden of Eden, Judeo-Christianity, which was the truth. God was there. God spoke. God gave the truth, which, of course, Judeo-Christianity grew out of. And the lie, which Satan said, you shall not surely die. You should become like God. You should become a god. That's Hinduism. And Judeo-Christianity both got their starts in the Garden of Eden. And from there, they have spawned basically all kinds of different, well, not Judeo-Christianity. It has remained solid, of course, in what it believes and, and all it teaches. But, of course, you have a lot of other groups that have, that have uh, formed off of Hinduism. This whole positive confession movement is traced back to Kenneth Hagin, who many believe, believe him to be the father of the whole thing. In reality, it started with a man by the name of E.W. Kenyon. Uh, he was into something or who uh, created something called new thought and if you read what he believed he believed basically everything that you hear in the positive confession movement that we are uh, spirit beings that we are uh, gods in a sense uh, that we uh, create things with the power of our words through believing them with our with our minds and th- you know, it was all. Hinduism basically, but he took it and developed something called New Thought. He was the founder actually of this whole concept and it was New Thought that really brought into the church the Positive Confession Movement because from Kenyon you had two branches. Kenneth Hagin took his teachings and from it became the founder of the Positive Confession Movement and Mary Baker Eddy took his teachings and she developed Christian Science both came from E.W. Kenyon. He was the source. but He got his stuff right out of the mouth of Satan in the Garden of Eden, basically, because it goes back to Hinduism, that we are all, the God forces within all of us, that everything is just an illusion created through the power of our, our minds, and we can create our own reality and speak things into existence through the spoken word. It's It goes back. To the Garden of Eden, you see. Uh, Kenneth Hagan plagiarized E.W. Kenyon uh, to a great degree. He took a lot of his teachings verbatim and claimed them as his own. This is where it comes from. It's not of God. It is not biblical. And I just wanted you to be aware of this because as we're in Mark chapter 11, uh, this is their favorite text. Uh, they will take you there always uh, if you've had any contact with those in the positive confession movement, this is where they will take you constantly. Back to Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. It becomes one of the uh, basis for their whole belief and all of that. Now, we're not going to have time to get into it tonight. Next week, what we'll do is we'll look at these verses and see what Jesus was really talking about here, okay? Uh, They're teaching us, have faith in your faith. You are a God, which is basically what Hinduism believes—the God forces within all of us—but they believe you are a God. You can use this law called uh, faith. It's a force. It's a spiritual law. You can release this power through the spoken word. Doesn't matter who uses it, whether Christian or occultist, because it's a super—it's a spiritual law. Anybody can use it, and so on and so forth. And so, you don't want to make any kind of negative confessions because you'll bring upon yourself uh, those things. You want to always confess positively, and so on. But is that really what Jesus was teaching here? Obviously not. But next time we want to look at well just what did he mean when he said, look, assuredly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the midst of the sea, you know, it shall happen. And Matthew says if you ask you, you ask anything and believe in, uh, and you believe in your heart, it shall come to pass. I mean that's pretty strong. I mean here Jesus is saying, look, whatever you ask if you believe you've already received it, you shall have it. Well, how do we answer that? It sounds pretty straightforward. I mean, it sounds like these folks are teaching something that Jesus really did say. Whatever you ask, doesn't matter who you are. Uh, G- Jesus said it. You will have it if you speak it, if you ask for it. Well, next week we'll see that that's exactly not what Jesus was talking about Uh It was something totally different but we'll have to wait and see um, how this all fits into this all-encompassing apparently this seemingly all-encompassing statement by Jesus that whatever you ask no matter what it is you'll have it well we'll see next time that's not what Jesus was talking about Um, all right let's pray father we thank you Lord that you have adopted us into your family as your children and we are so thankful Lord that you are God and that not we are not God's Lord if we were God's we would be in more trouble than we are right now no doubt we thank you Lord that you alone are God that you alone control the universe that you alone work all things together according to your will and that we can rest in your sovereignty in your providence and your power because you are in control and I take personally a great deal of comfort in knowing that I don't want to be God I just want to be a son of God I just want to be in your family Lord uh, I want you to be God and only you and we thank you that you are Lord help us to understand because Lord Jesus you have said things that sometimes are difficult to understand and we know your word is truth and we know it doesn't contradict itself so help us to understand some of these difficult passages lord that seem to contradict other things you've said obviously we're not understanding them properly lord as you have promised the holy spirit would lead us into all truth and under- open our understanding to all things that you said and so lord teach us your truth lead us in your truth that we not interpret your word wrongly but always rightly that we might walk in its truths We thank you, Lord. And we just pray, Father, that you would bring an end to this horrible, this perverted heresy called positive confession that has caused thousands and millions of people to be misled, to usurp the place of God, to become the gods of their own lives. I just pray for them, Lord, that you bring them to the truth. And I pray that you will wake your church up to this deception, and that you will cause these people to see that these men and women are nothing but greedy, money-grubbing opportunists who are only using uh, the name of Jesus to line their pockets. They think that godliness is a means of gain, and as your word says, we are to withdraw from such as these. We're not to even have fellowship with these kinds of people. Help us, Lord. Help them to see the truth and help us to always walk in your truth, to have faith, not in our faith, but faith in our God, who alone knows what's best for our lives. We thank you now, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name.